0: I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode. This is your host, Brian Krebs, and I'm on the phone today with Mike Kopp. Mike was gracious enough to get this podcast in right before he's headed out to the woods this weekend. Mike, why don't you uh, share with the listeners what you are going after this weekend?
1: Um, This weekend... So, my niece is coming over from Oregon, and it'll be her first time hunting out of state. She's a 13-year-old, and she's going to be going after a mule deer this weekend. And then, hopefully, that goes good, and we get a little bit of time to go prep for her elk hunt that starts next Wednesday.
0: Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I'm a little bit jealous. Are you... Are you going like straight through like we'll hunt deer until that's done and then as soon as that like I got that much time and then we're just gonna go start elk hunting?
1: Um decided to cut out real quick right there, but yeah, I wish we we could. She's kind of a she she's got a full plate, but she does a ton of sports and I was trying to get her to come out a little bit earlier, but she has a four point in school right now and she's afraid if she misses too much school she won't be able to maintain her four point so so we're going to be kind of restricted to the weekend so we'll go back to work and school on Monday and then she'll come back over and and we'll start on elk after that
0: oh yeah so is for her being a youth elk hunting do you get like a a special tag or a like a what most would consider a, a trophy unit or a limited entry unit in Idaho for her to, to hunt elk in?
1: No, no, she came out of the same pool as, as everybody else. And it was uh, kind of a, a last minute thing and we kind of came across some opportunities to get her some tags. So we weren't quite as prepared as we had, we had hoped, but we had to take advantage of the opportunity where we could. Try to make the best of it well i'm a i'm a big
0: advocate for like getting out and hunting when you can and a lot of times that is like opportunity hunts right like where a tag comes up and you're like hey we can we could get this tag and go i don't know how good the hunting's going to be but it's you know better than nothing and i just feel like that's a great way to just get out in the woods more often and get more experience and the more you do that the more you're gonna you know get better at elk hunting and eventually you might actually start having success in those units the same as you would have if you only hunted like a limited entry once every 20 years
1: yeah for sure and there's there's a lot that goes with that just hunting when you have a have an opportunity i mean in reality like i like to go to my favorite spots everybody has their spots they like to go but i think i've shot Taken more animals in places that I haven't been than places that I have, for for whatever reason. So you can't really be scared to range out and just go, even just study a map a little bit and get out there. And they they are where you find them. So just take the opportunity where you can and, and get after it.
0: Yeah, that that is very true. I think it's interesting. I th- I've always shot. I've shot two nice bulls, and both of them were in units that I hunted for the first time that season. So one was in North Dakota, one was in Colorado. And I wonder if it's maybe because, I mean, obviously hunting a unit over and over again, that 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 eventually starts to become a pretty big, like, um, help that helps you out a lot. But I wonder if in some of these newer units where you're, you're going into the first time, like, just typically hunt different like you you hunt faster you're checking out a lot more stuff you're you're like oh this didn't work let's go check out that ridge and then this ridge and then this ridge and maybe you're just covering more ground and that helps you like seemingly be more successful in new units compared to when you go to an old unit you maybe have your favorite spot you just go right to that spot and maybe the elk wasn't there that day.
1: No I think we've talked about that a lot I think there's a ton of truth in that even even this year it's been i think it's a battle with everybody that hunts that they get something in their head and they get hung up on it but when you're into an area that doesn't have animal there's not producing you need to change it up like this year i was super confident in an area it started out good but we just kept i mean we weren't hitting the exact same spot but we were kind of hitting the same area a lot and beating up the same elk and they just weren't weren't reacting like we wanted to. And finally I did what I've always told myself I have to do and left. Like there was out there, but it just wasn't working and, and just leaving and going someplace else I was able to be successful. And I think it's kind of exactly the same thing. You're saying that you're covering more area. You're not hitting the same spots when you go to a new, new area because you don't have like an old faithful honey hole because it doesn't matter how good your honey hole is if you just keep hitting it and hitting it those animals are going to leave or they're going to get wise to your games and so coming into a new area where you don't have a honey hole forces you to range out and hunt a little bit different and the elk are going to get hit from an angle that hopefully they haven't been hit from before so I I completely agree with, with your thought on that
0: yeah. Do you when you are elk hunting? I know obviously this weekend you're doing the meal deer, but when you're elk hunting, are you do you hunt more with a bow or with a rifle?
1: Um, I have only had one elk rifle tag in my entire life, and it was a muzzleloader tag in Colorado this year. Okay. So Mostly I've, archery. I've been archery hunting elk since I was legal to hunt. So I've been I've archery hunted elk every year since I was twelve.
0: Have you noticed in Idaho? Um, and so I've asked a lot of people this question the last couple years, we've been in Montana, we were in Colorado archery this year, for whatever reason, it seems like our group, and we've got like eight people in our archery elk group, have been noticing the last, especially the last two or three years, the bugling is not the same as it was maybe like five or six years ago. Have you been noticing that?
1: You know, I've thought about that, and like... When I was younger and in high school and stuff, we'd be able to call in bulls, and I didn't have near the experience and time, and I mean, the all the things on on YouTube to teach you back then. And we could get bulls to come in, and then now it seems like they just don't react like they do. But I'm also not sure that it's just not kind of the human brain makes you feel like that that it was just way better back in the day because I'm sure we struggled back then too and then we've had awesome days in recent years too so I've had that same feeling but I'm not actually certain that they've had really changed that much yeah they definitely changed from year to year this year was extremely difficult and I felt like i was a rookie and I'd never been out there before and I should stop blowing my calls. But then I came back for civilization and it sounds like there was a ton of people running into the same issues this year.
0: This year we struggled a little bit in Colorado. It was a new unit, um, but the weather was fine. We had, you know, a dark moon. It was uh third week in September and we did not hear a, like an abundance of bugling, but it was also a new unit. So we weren't sure how much... Elk were really in that unit. Last year, we saw elk. We saw a lot of elk. I mean, we were seeing them. We we could glass them, and we weren't hearing them. So that was kind of the the you know what told us is like they're just not talking today or this week. It was kind of we got into some hot weather too. So that you know that never helps. Um, but I always want to ask locals because we only get out for seven days of hunting, and so you could easily say, oh, they didn't rut this year. Well, maybe for the seven days you were there there was a moon phase or a weather pattern where they just didn't bugle during the daylight, and and that was the only, you know, that was the only taste he got. Whereas, like, local, you're going out every weekend throughout the week. You maybe take a week off during the rut, and you can say, no, they were there. They were bugling. We had some great days. It was just, you know, they bugled on the 24th and the 25th, but we pulled out on the 23rd maybe. So. Uh,
1: And I don't, I personally don't believe I mean, obviously, the weather has an effect on them. Every now and then, a big storm will come through. There's elk there one day, and then they shut down. But usually that early season stuff, or I guess clear through the season, I found that I think the elk are, when they're supposed to be bugling, they're going to be talking someplace. So, for example, last year, James and I were out hunting, and... We were finding elk, but nothing was talking. They weren't really playing that good, not huge numbers. And we were just trying to hit areas, cover ground, try to find where the elk are because they just kind of float around like a cloud. Sometimes they're just not in the same spot. One spot will be good one year and then ghost town the next year. And I think it was the, we hadn't really heard anything. And I think it was like the 6th of September. And we dropped into one drainage, and the entire thing was lit up with bulls bugling. And the exact same thing happened uh, as hunting, shoot, it probably four years ago. With my buddy Ben from Washington, he came over, and we had pretty much the same situation. We were kind of getting discouraged where we were at, and we were right on the brink of leaving, because, like I said, you just got to get out of an area whether it's your honey hole or not if the elk aren't there you got to go and we went into one more spot is a little bit deeper but it's the 3rd of september and i bet there was we dropped in there and i bet there was seven bulls bugling on the 3rd of september and we hadn't heard one anyplace else so i think it's i don't know that the weather and the moon phase or any of that obviously the rut has to start but if they're supposed to be in rut and it's time for them to be rutting i feel like they are talking someplace and i think it's probably just whether a cow has cycled in that area and put the smell in there and once they smell that they get all fired up because it'll just be i mean it'll be one drainage you'll hunt 10 drainages and hit one drainage and that whole drainage will be lit up
0: without talking yeah and i think you got to remember like it's nothing for an elk to walk 10 drainages i I think it's easy for us to like feel like well you know if there's elk here there should be elk over there if there's elk over there there should be over here right it's all the same mountain but if there's a cow in that drainage two miles away that has come into estrus it's nothing for all of those elk to just move over there they could be there and and Ten minutes, right, and we think that's like a whole different spot, or you know they you know if they're over there, they should be over here too, well, you know they they can move so fast so far like it's it's nothing to go two three miles, and that's where all the elk were in the you know this week because there were some cows in that area that were you know in in heat and and that's what makes it look like the spot you went to has no elk,
1: yeah, yeah, or you'll even see elk and they're just not responding. Because there isn't a calinestris around there. And then that one drainage that does have the, the scent in it, I think that gets them fired up in just kind of an isolated zone. And we did the exact same thing. I think it was the same year Ben was there, later, maybe around the 16th or something of September. Uh, we were kind of in the same situation covering ground and just not really producing much, not getting anything to talk. And then we walked over, we were pretty much at the end of where we could go before we were going to be dropping off the brakes and it was going to get pretty gnarly. And we got one more ridge and we went over that and I threw out a locator and just the whole basin lit up. And yeah, it's the exact same situation. Just the talking elk were isolated to a little I don't know, maybe maybe a thousand acre spot, which really in the big picture isn't very much. And we walked. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors, creators of the only
0: American-made fire-insulated modular gun safe on the market. That means you no longer have to convince three or four of your buddies to help you move your safe no more blown out backs or pulled muscles and no more dings and dents to your home. They recommend having two people to lift and assemble your safe, which would make it incredibly easy because I just put my Recon 32 together by myself and I had it set up in less than an hour. I carried each panel of my safe into my home with just my two hands. Yet once assembled, it had the same security and ruggedness you would expect from a gun safe. They have designed an integrated door frame so it is nearly impossible to get into your gun safe without the code, which means your firearms are always 100% secure. Before I had my Steelhead Outdoor Safe, I needed to get three buddies to help me move my old safe in and out of my home, and it was always the most stressful part of moving. But not anymore. Plus, every Steelhead Outdoor Safe is made right here in Minnesota from start to finish, which means you are supporting a local business when you buy a Steelhead Outdoor Safe. Check out steelheadoutdoors.com to see all of their size and color options and pick the right one for you. And use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoor Safe.
1: Probably seven, seven miles that morning, just covering land, calling down into every drainage, every place we thought could hold elk. And didn't get a single response until we got over that last hill and I'm sure there was elk hearing us on the way but just the uh, elk that were responding were in that one little isolated spot and I'm assuming it's because there was a cow or two in season down there that I mean the bulls are always ready so
0: yeah they are just, I mean they're, they're ready way before the cows are that's for sure
1: yeah so that's my opinion on it that that you just can't get discouraged when you're getting in a spot like that. I mean, if you're seeing no elk time, then definitely move. But they're probably talking someplace, and you never know when you're going to come across that area. So you just got to keep driving until you find it.
0: Yeah, that part and is it. pretty easy. You know, if you're elk hunting, like when we're elk hunting, and we hit a spot, and you're like, you know, this is a new unit, this spot looks fine, looks like a good spot. We go in, and we don't hear any bugles, and if we're not seeing any sign – then it's like a pretty good estimate, like, they're just not here. Like, there might be one bedded here somewhere, a lone cow or a lone bull. But if there's elk in the spot, if there's elk in your area, it's pretty obvious. I mean, there, there's going to be a ton of sign. And so that was part of the confusing part we had this year, was we were seeing a ton of fresh sign. I mean, lots of fresh sign. Some of, the, some of the, the biggest areas of, like, fresh, fresh sign that I've ever seen. In, in seven eight years of elk hunting and yet we weren't seeing them with our eyes or hearing them so that's kind of where we were getting thrown for a loop of like what's going on because there was clearly a herd of elk here 12 hours ago I mean this you know all this sign is is fresh within the last day and there's lots of you know it's clear they've been here multiple days so what's going on and that's that's what really threw us for a loop this year if you're not if you're not seeing the sign and you're not hearing them that mean that's pretty easy and a lot of times when you do see that freshest sign you you start hearing them or seeing them.
1: Yeah for sure that that makes it complicated when you're when you're seeing that sign and you're not finding the elk and it seems to be a never-ending mental battle and I know it's an I know it's a problem, and I still have problems walking away from it. Because if I'm in an area like that, I'm going to assess what that I'm, what I'm doing and try to change it, figure out where those elk are. Or if I just can't figure it out and I should be finding them, then I'm just going to leave and go someplace else. That's, I think that's what's helped me the most as a matured as a hunter is to just know when it's time to leave and sometimes i'm leaving when there's elk there like this year there was elk there i was seeing elk every day but they just weren't reacting the way i needed them to and they weren't in a very huntable location and finally i had to just leave and go someplace else and it turned out found some elk that i could make a hunt on it and got one so
0: well, heck yeah. Where, where do you hunt? Do you hunt solo, um, ever? or Are you always with like a partner or a group?
1: I'm probably ninety five percent solo, unless I'm trying to hunt with somebody else. I'm kind of, uh, I don't know. I kind of like to call call for myself, and that's like just kind of off instinct a lot and I don't like the idea I have to explain my decisions if I think I need to put it in gear and hike over a hill just because that's what I think I need to do and I just want to do it and not have to talk out with somebody and then hey I, I understand I like that
0: to, completely
1: <laughs> yeah I like to call for myself and have an opinion I don't know I've got like Ben's a phenomenal caller and I've never had a problem with how he called. But generally I know what I want to do and I don't know that it's always right. But I don't have to debate it with somebody when I'm hunting by myself. So I can I can listen to the elk and make a decision on what their temperature is and how to proceed with the calling or what kind of strategy I want I don't have to debate it I just go with instinct and go and it seems to work out so I kind of came to where I prefer to hunt by myself usually I'll, I might have somebody in camp or hunt with somebody out of the same camp but when we go out in the morning we go our own own direction
0: yeah I've heard that before and then obviously like no one ever says I'd prefer to pack out elk by myself so, when that, so it's always helpful to have, like, at least some buddies in camp and everyone kind of goes their own direction. Or or maybe if you tag out, then you would, you know, obviously call for your buddy. Or if your buddy tags out, then he can come call for you because there's some help from that. But I don't know how many people we've had on the podcast so far that are really hunting solo a lot and relying on calling as well. I mean, a lot of times the, we've talked to people that solo archery hunt and they're typically more relying on on spot and stock um, to get in close and get that shot. So how do you go about calling from a solo archery standpoint? Are you doing the throw out a calling sequence and then move up as as quietly as you can, but kind of fast and get like 30, 40 yards closer so when they come in you're ready for a shot before they hold up? You
1: know, I've I've talked about it quite a bit, and it's kind of hard to – to say i don't have like one way that i do anything I've, i mean i've talked to and listened to all the good elk hunters like Corey's strategy and Jason's or uh, Dirk's strategy and all those guys and i don't really have one thing that i do i like to to feel out the situation and look at the terrain and what time of day it is and decide how to play it and then you can if you've listened to many elk you can kind of get their temperature pretty fast when they start talking and kind of make a play on that but that's i think that's a also a big part of what's led to my success is when i'm hunting I, i have nothing else to think about so i'm constantly assessing the situation like just assess it and reassess it the entire time all the way up to the shock and it's macro clear down micro so I'm listening to the elk I'm trying to feel what the wind is where I'm at assume what the wind is in their area what kind of terrain I'm going to cross to get to them um, all the way up to like when they come in what trail are they going to come in what route are they going to take And then which direction will my wind be when they come to that spot? And then if they're off just a little bit, what kind of moves am I going to have to make to like, if they come here or there, can I shoot them in both spots or am I have to move? If I do have to move, what's that going to look like? So all the way up to my setup, while it's coming in, I'll be looking at the ground and say, if I have to step to the right six feet, if he goes to a certain area, I'm looking at the ground before he gets there. I'll actually go over and I'll, I'll clear pine cones and twigs and stuff out of the way. So if I have to make that move, I can silently get over there and, and make that shot. And it's just a never-ending assessment of the situation from all the way back as I'm moving in, all the way to the shot. It's just the full situation getting assessed and making decisions. So And that's all the way down to calling. I'm seeing how he's reacting if he's moving if I think he's moving towards the bed or towards feed, they're pretty hard to turn. So you have to take that into account that you're probably going to have to be more in the line of where he wants to go. Or if he's in his bedroom, you got a little bit more free range because he could go 360 out of the bedroom to defend his herd. And yeah, it's just a constant assessment. And so when it comes to calling, it's kind of the, the same thing. I, I use a lot of the strategies that you hear preached over and over but i read the situation and i alter it to to that situation to do what i think and going to make it work best for me
0: yeah i like that and i like how you said earlier i try to take their temperature um because it's like you said you can you can start to get there sometimes it's easier than others when it depends on the elk and depends on what they do and it obviously depends on how many you've heard but, I like, this year we had a bull that, I mean, we did a locator, and he almost cut us off and was just deep and, and raspy, very aggressive. And we both looked at each other and were like, that bull is angry. He's close, and he's not happy. And so we kind of figured that's how we were going to play it, that he was probably a herd bull with cows. He probably got a little startled that another bull was getting close to him, and we were going to play it that way. And we moved in. Well, then we heard a bull bugle like 400 yards away, and we're like, oh, no, he's, you know, he's on the move. He's probably trying to bring his herd out of here. And so we thought we had to keep moving in after him. Well, it turned out there was two, two bulls, and the first one was still really close, and the second one was the one that we heard, you know, farther away. And unfortunately, we kind of, like, bumped into the herd as we were trying to get to that, what we thought was a, of the bull moving away. And he kind of spotted us, and he stuck around for maybe twenty minutes. And we tried to play with them, but once they see you, they get kind of skittish. Like they usually don't run out and bust out if if you if you just kind of got a glimpse of you. But they definitely don't like to play anymore, and and that was the problem. But you're right; like you can kind of you know we what we heard was right. We just then heard something else that got us you know tripped up.
1: Yeah, and. I think if you haven't been in that situation, you haven't elk hunted in the rut very much.
0: <laughs> yeah, multiple bulls. It's easy when one's, like, north and the other one's south, and you're like, okay, well, that's definitely two different bulls. This was just, like, the perfect mix of, un, you know, bad luck, where it was just the right amount of time that a bull would have made it that far. And, you know, typically it's pretty common that, you know, you'll have to be chasing down herds. And so that was just kind of the mindset we were in, and unfortunately, we uh, played it. We we put in the wrong play and ran it, and it didn't work out for us. He, got, I got into yeah. sixty. I mean, I was close. I was in the game. Probably would have had a shot if I had, you know, an, an open window. But it was, you know, a frontal at sixty through the brush. That, obviously, that's not a recipe for success. Yeah, I've
1: I've definitely been in that exact situation. You'll have a bull working, and his satellite or just a whole nother bull bugle 400 yards away and you think he moved off and then you run into him or even more often than that you kind of get booty blinded by one one bugling and you know you have a pin on where that bull is because he's bugling over and over so you're there you're moving in because I hunt really aggressive I just try to push it to the limits of what I can get away with and so I'll close the distance as much as i can and aggressively but it bites me in the butt quite a bit because i'll be pushing in on them and the cows range out 100 yards off that bull and i'm keeping tabs on where that bull is and kind of blinded by his bugle and run right into his cows and then once they leave it's usually game over i mean you can definitely get them to come in after you blow the cows out or it has worked in An advantage by chance before because they'll blow out past you and then you end up between him and his cows. But it's not generally a good thing.
0: Yeah, no, it's. (laughs) I like how you say blinded by bugles. That'd make a great t shirt. But you're right. Like, if you never want to run in and bump the cows on purpose, like, I mean, maybe some people like, hey, I want to try this. But most of the time, you're like, well, I don't want to get busted. I want to get as close as possible without getting busted. But if you do get busted, it can be a pretty good uh tactic to, you know, run to the center of where the herd was and pretend you're a you know, a mature bull trying to steal his herd. And especially if the bull didn't see what busted his herd, he might believe it and just come in, you know, seeing red. He might get blinded by bugles too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely not a strategy I would I would suggest somebody try, but it's that read the situation, constantly reading it and something goes south you might be able to take advantage of it and make something happen so
0: yeah that's like that's not even a plan b that's like a that's like an audible like plan a we're gonna try to get as close as we can maybe plan b is you know we get tripped up like we see some cows or we run out of cover so we have to stop and start calling from here and then like plan z is oh shoot we busted the cows i guess we have to do this now
1: (laughs) you picked up your QB fumble and took it to the end zone
0: yeah, hopefully. Hopefully he took it to the end zone. Um, I've never had the bulls, I've never had bulls charge in. You know, like you, like everyone dreams of, you, you know, rip a bugle, get in a calling sequence, and the bull just comes charging in, snot flying, ready to fight. I've never had that happen before, but we've had people in our group that have had it happen before. And man, does it sound, like, exhilarating. I mean, that's, that's why everyone does it, is that moment right there. And unfortunately... It, it's not as uh, common as you'd hope.
1: Yeah, as cool as it is, I just assume they don't do that cuz you got some good nerves if you can make a good shot with that happening. <laughs> you you got to stay pretty cool and that's a tough time to stay cool.
0: Well, my in my um in my little fantasy how I play it out in my mind, he just runs in so damn close that it doesn't matter how much nerves I have, I still, you know, I'm pl- picturing a 4-yard shot that all I got to do is just hit the trigger and I'm going to get them.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's about how my second bull this season went. It was, it wasn't far from that, but it had nothing to do with, with me calling.
0: You just but got yeah, one to was, come right in on you.
1: Um, I was right next to one of his satellites and he saw that it was next to one of his cows and he just let us scream out and, charged that battle, light, blew it right past me and stopped standing right next to me in the I... wide open. I, I didn't know. I kind of had a hesitation because there was nothing between him and I. And I was like, well, it's now or never. So I drew back and he turned and looked at me like, how the heck did you get there? And luckily he hesitated long enough that that I was able to get a shot off. But yeah, he ran, I don't know, his 15 yards or or less in the wide open, but he just came after a satellite bull and chased him right past me and stopped right in front of me. So
0: that's incredible. What's the closest you've ever had an elk, a, like a wild elk, not a you know zoo elk or a Yellowstone elk?
1: Mm, I shot a three seventy bull in two thousand fourteen, and it was six feet.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is nerves of steel. A 370-inch bull? You're not talking like a 370-pound bull, right?
1: <laughs> no. he's <it's, laughs> a 376 point.
0: Oh, my gosh. At six feet. So you basically could touch him with your arrow before you drew.
1: No, I didn't get him shot right there, so he, he didn't go by the playbook. We saw him coming my boss I was hunting with somebody at that time my boss came out with me and he was calling and we seen him coming all the way down the ridge from forever away and we kind of read the situation and like well he's going to walk right here it's obvious what the path to get from A to B was so I backed up under a big juniper bush and figured he was going to walk right in front of me and it'd be easy money well, for some reason, right before he got to me, he turned and went under the same tree I was under. And I knew the wind was bad. And I watched it and he walked right in front of me and he stopped about, I was probably even with his neck, maybe the front of his shoulder. And I was just waiting for it because I knew exactly where that wind was going. And I had seen his nostrils flare and then his eyes got big, and his nostrils flared one more time, and he broke and ran up this little cut bank, and it was like the only time I didn't have a breed in my mouth, so I drew back and ran out from under that tree, mewing like a dummy with my voice, and he stopped just long enough, turned back and looked at me, and I got a shot off at about, he stopped it, it was right around 20 yards, and was able to get that shot in there luckily with everything going on and he only went I don't know I don't know if he went 60 yards but yeah he was way too close to draw the bow back
0: that is the craziest story I think I've ever heard that's probably the craziest elk hunting story I've heard to date on the podcast having a 370 inch bull under the same tree as you and then yeah. still getting it you know still getting the shot off oh my gosh
1: yeah, I got a little bit lucky on that one but that was pretty cool and then I had one at, I had one at full draw at sixty six yards last year and that was a beautiful one. I didn't even get a shot at him he I came over the hill well I was actually so there's an old guy that was hunting in that area that I was at and he was supposed to be in this drainage below me and we kind of leave that to him just out of respect for him, that's where he likes to go, so we just leave it alone. And I, there was a bull on the ridge across from me, bugling, and I could see him. He was in the open, kind of. And then there was a terrible-sounding bugle down in the bottom, and I thought that was the guy hunting the drainage, which I found out later wasn't hunting the drainage. So It was just a bull that needs bugling lessons. But So I was trying to help the guy down in the bottom, and I was in this ridge back towards camp and I'd bugle every now and then try to keep that bull talking and hoping that he'd move in on it and get a shot like as long as I can keep him talking I'll be helping him out a little bit so it's a super steep sided ridge I was walking down and then I just hear right next to me like man that sure sounded like an elk and I knew right where it was it was probably 100 yards down the ridge from me so I dropped off the far side of the ridge and just used the ridge as cover and got down parallel with it and then I bugled and when it screamed and I heard it coming up to me I drew back and stood up and he was he was like 30 yards in front of me but I didn't have a shot or just a little tree in the way and I knew it was going to be get a shot or game over at that situation and it was he saw me stand up and he stood there for a second but he was froze with a tree in front of him but so he broke and took off and it was a super messy area lots of downfall and I hadn't been in that spot before so I just kind of went over to do some recon and see where he went what trail he took out of there and I heard something behind me and I looked back and there's another giant bull walking down the hill straight towards me and he bugled and I cut him off and he just immediately saw red and he came straight down there and he got on the trail of that bull that I just ran off and he smelt it and thought that I was that bull and he just gave up on any concern of danger and I drew back at 35 yards and he was just coming in to get that bull and he walked all the way to six yards from me and he's going through those little Christmas trees so I just kept saying I'll get a better shot be patient you'll get a better shot you'll get a better shot and he came right next to me and there was a, a spruce tree that was probably 50 inch base spruce tree and he came around the back side of it and he got all the way out to where I almost had a shot if I had one more he'd have been a six yard shot but he kind of kept it right behind his shoulder and I was a little bit nervous I think I was I know I was shaking a little bit I've shot a lot of elk and I still get (laughs) I try to get myself under control my leg will start shaking and he just pinned my leg shaking and knew something was up and turned and burned out of there and I never got a shot out full draw from 35 to 6 yards and never pulled the trigger that one was pretty close, and then lots of calves and stuff have came in close, too, but those are the two closest, funnest bull experiences.
0: Well, yeah. Okay, now I understand why you say you'd rather not have them run right to your tree because it sounds like you've had it happen a couple times and they got a little too close.
1: <laughs> no, when they get I, – I prefer them to be 30, 35 yards because once they get that close, it's just – any little movement they can hear you breathing they can see your legs shake and if you're not drawn back already you're in trouble you're you're not going to get drawn back most likely on a bull that close i mean every now and then they'll stare at you i guess i kind of got away with it this year but i'd prefer a bull to stay out there at 30 35 yards would be my ideal shot range
0: yeah though that's a good shot size or you know shot range.
1: Gives you a little bit of freedom. It's far enough away that hopefully they can't hear your arrow sliding over your rest or your your dry bearings on your cams squeaking when you drive draw back or whatever. Just get a little bit of buffer between you.
0: Yeah, thirty-five yards. I mean, what's the 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 kill zone on an elk is fifteen inches, eighteen inches, maybe eighteen is probably pushing it. But I mean, it's a big circle, so. You know it. It doesn't take a lot of practice with a bow to be consistently drilling, drilling on elk at thirty, thirty-five yards. Obviously, when you're calm and collected. I like. I laugh when you say I've shot a lot of elk and I still get nervous. I was like, I just shot a white-tailed doe last weekend and I was, I had my heart rate going. So, I can definitely feel getting nervous on an elk.
1: No, uh, I think. I mean, you got to keep your stuff together, but I, I think if you don't get a little bit excited, maybe you should find a different sport. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't go for everybody, but I get pretty darn excited. I mean, I've had bulls come in, and I'll, I'll shut my eyes. Like, I don't even want to look at them. I just know where they're at. Don't look at their horns. Don't look at anything just convince myself it's just a target and stay cool until after the shot and then you can get excited because <laughs> I'll get my leg will get to shake and i'll I'll get pretty excited sometimes so that's one of the struggles I have is just enjoying it too much I get so excited I have to stay calm for the shot.
0: Oh, I feel that too I mean I almost like when you when it when you think you're gonna get a shot and you hit like when you first think this is gonna happen, and you get hit with that first wave of adrenaline, I almost prefer that to not actually be the shot. Like, I like it to, you know, like, he's going to come in, he's coming in, he's coming in, like, you get the adrenaline build up. he's at 60, 50, and all of a sudden he stops behind a tree, and, like, for a minute or two, and then you get a chance to, like, all right, now breathe, now calm back down, let the adrenaline work out, then he steps out, and then you can, you know, smoke him versus trying to make that shot right when you're, you know, your heart rate's maxed out. Your, your adrenaline just got hit. You're starting to shake. Like, it's hard to keep it all under control, especially when you got the when you got the hormones working against you.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's You kind of got to be maxed out one way or the other. I either need them to come running right in, and, like, one bugle and run in. Don't really tell me they're coming, and I just have to draw and shoot or take a really long – time coming so i can get my stuff under control (laughs) if it's right there in the middle i really got to concentrate on calming my nerves and convince myself i'm just shooting a target what i tell myself it's just a target
0: yeah that would help i don't even have a 3d target though so that's i think i need to get one so i can keep practicing on the 3d target i think that would help a lot for for like target panic on a real elk or an animal because it's like even with the white tails, like I get when I think it's gonna happen, like I feel the heart rate start to climb and I've got I just gotta like remember to breathe slowly. I guess that's what I tell myself is just slow it down, slow it down like always trying to slow it down and then it almost seems like when I'm actually at full draw it almost goes away or I, at least I don't remember it Maybe that's more it that I don't remember it, but it, it's like you just set lock in
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm lucky. Usually it's my, my upper body does pretty good. I just get a leg that gets out of control. <laughs> Nothing will get to shaking like thumper, and if they're too close, they can see that thing going.
0: <laughs> Is it always the I same leg
1: for you? Yeah, I think so. I
0: think I get that too sometimes. I'm not. I think it's mostly when you're in like a weird stance where you're like you're not evenly flat-footed on both feet, but you're like... You know, maybe you got your like uphill legs bent a little bit, and so it's like the muscles are just like they don't know what to do, and they, you know, they get hit with that adrenaline, and they just start tweaking.
1: <laughs> I know it's doing it too, and like I'm in my head, like yelling, "I <laughs> just knock it off."
0: It, yeah, it keeps trying going. Trying not to move, trying to. Yeah, you know, you know, he's looking at you, or he's looking your way, and. You're waiting to draw. Yeah, I've I've been there. I was there this year. I had first night we had a bull walk into fifty-eight yards. And and the way he was coming, he looked like he was gonna take a trail right into like thirty-five yards. And and I was uh he was uphill, so I was facing uphill and one leg was bent uphill and I had my my my, my knee was bouncing. And then of course, luck would have it, he didn't come in on which was a bummer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you don't want them to come in every time your season would be over too fast. Well,
0: I have eaten, I've never shot an elk with my bow. I've only shot them with rifles. And I really want to try shooting an elk, like, day one. Because we got a big elk camp. Like, we are never going to tag out with eight archery elk hunters. So I would love to shoot one day one, pack up the bow, and just call and be a pack mule for the rest of the week. I think that would be the most fun elk hunt. I
1: don't know. You might tag out. That year Ben came over. Those elk were... It was, you couldn't do anything wrong. Like, we killed... We had five encounters and killed four elk. We filled five tags that year, and we were waiting for the last tag to show up, and we were finding people with tags to bring out hunting because every tag we had was full already.
0: You just probably you wrecked Idaho elk hunting forever because people are going to listen to that and go, we're going to Idaho next year. <laughs> Can't do anything wrong. Five encounters, four elk. Everyone's going to flood to Idaho.
1: <laughs> it's never happened before or since, but that year was just unreal. Like you just couldn't make a mistake. But don't expect that to happen very often. And then Ty showed up. Here's the last tag we were waiting for. And he showed up at midnight, and had hands on a bull by eleven. And he was left Primeville and was back to Prineville within 24 hours with a bull.
0: That's so that was incra- a pretty good year. That's crazy.
1: But that, that's not normal at no. all.
0: No, that is not normal. Um, are you what type of what time of year are you guys? finding like, what's your favorite week to hunt elk? Are you hunting that third week peak rut or are you doing earlier before a lot of the bigger herds are established?
1: I don't know. I always have a debate with myself. I mean, we go when we can hunt. We we don't really, when you can hunt, you go, which I've actually been pretty blessed with, that have allowed me to have about as much time as I can, can use. But, uh It's usually just go when you can. If the moon's not good, but you have time, you probably better be out there going. And I've thought about what's best. So definitely later in the season, even, you know, third week and on, there's a lot of talking. You hear a ton of elk. But I almost feel like they're, you won't hear as many, but I feel like they're easier to call in in like that first like week and a half of September, like the first week, usually pretty slow with the exception of a couple times, like that one on the sixth and the third, those were just full rut tests early in the season. And we'll get into stuff like that every now and then, but in general, not really the first week, but you know, about a week and a half in, they're starting to talk pretty good, but I feel like they're a little more responsive to calls. Like they're trying to get their harem put together and they'll actually come out and hunt for you a little bit towards the end of the season. I don't know if they're just so beat up and a lot of the cows are bred already and they're just kind of being a little more lethargic. They'll talk a bunch, but they're just don't seem to be running in quite as aggressively to me, but there's always outliers on that. So that's, Why it's always an internal debate with myself of what actually the best time is. So, and I guess the answer is the best time is when you can go.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. It's, I've always asked because, like, we pick a week, we just say, Hey, we're going this week. Everyone's taking vacation, but which week should we go? Should we go first week, second week, third week, fourth week? And we've always pretty much gone the third week. And, And I'm starting to wonder, you know, should we not try the second week, maybe the, you know, tail end of the first week? And I don't know. I mean, no one ever knows. Some years it might work out great. Some years it might not. But I'm starting to wonder if, like, we're we're seeing more and more pressure every year, especially, like, everyone wants to go that third week. And maybe that's affecting how they're reacting to calls a little bit. Maybe, like what you said, some of the cows are getting bred. The herds and harems are getting bigger and bigger. And... It's just hard, I mean, obviously it's harder to turn a full herd. I mean, you can't, it's hard to pull a bull away from a herd, so now you're, you know, you're kind of hunting the satellites and the raghorns running around on the edge of the herd.
1: Yeah, and then, like, this year, well, I don't know if this year is really a good example for anything, because the were is so strange to me this year, but when I ended up shooting my bull, I actually stalked in on him. They were viewing like crazy. I watched a bunch of bulls and then sat and waited for an opportunity. And I didn't have a very good one, but I took it and it worked out. But I thought there was one bull and then I seen one drop in and that was the distraction I waited for to move in. And so I thought maybe there was two bulls. And it was just, it was, it was a horrible spot. Like it on paper should have never worked out because was just an island on tr- of trees on top of this steep, finger ridge like just a tiny thing well i got up there and there was four bulls in this little maybe 100 yard patch of trees and they're they're screaming like crazy but he's allowing them to be there so they're not really ranging off to push the bulls out or being that aggressive and i don't know if that's a year specific thing but It's kind of how I feel like they get towards the end of season is they're talking a lot, they're irritated with each other, but it just doesn't seem like they're being as aggressive and moving as much or being as responsive physically to calls. They're super responsive, but I I think it's a little bit easier to call them in more around that second week.
0: Yeah, that might be something we have to – Try next year is going a week earlier than we normally do, and I mean, well, there's some spots where we go and we have good luck every year. Um, I think in our spot in Wyoming, we've always we've always tagged bulls. Uh, we've got a spot in Montana that we've always tagged bulls, and so I think there's you know there's definitely things that you know we we've found that work, but it seems like some of our new spots that we've tried to go to these last couple of years, they just weren't cooperating as much as we'd hope i mean it's you know we're flatlanders and so when we go out there we're gonna mess up we're gonna mess up the first five encounters unless we get unbelievably lucky well you gotta have five encounters if you're gonna mess up the first five you know or you gotta have six right well you know this last week in colorado we only had five encounters in the whole week in in the croup, and so we just didn't you know we didn't get enough reps to get that experience and get back in the groove and and to get it right and i think it's just it obviously helps. The more encounters you can have, the faster you're going to learn, and the more success you're going to end up
1: with. Yeah, you might not be alone in that. I don't. People know I kill a lot of elk. They don't know how many I run off before I shoot those.
0: <laughs> well, I think none of us know how many we run off before we shoot the ones we shoot. But yeah, you uh two elk in one year. So what do you do with all that meat?
1: Um. So for my family, I'm mostly, well, I guess Ella and I are pretty much the only hunters now. Her dad got into hunting. He actually, so Ella called a bull in for her dad last year when she was 12 years old, called a bull into 20 yards and he shot it. So we had five elk last year in the family. So we had too much meat for all of us, but usually we'll take the meat and then my brother's got a family and then my sister's family and my mom, and we'll spread it out between all the houses and be able to get through it. And then if we have too much meat, it's definitely never an issue to find somebody that needs more meat or that can use it. Or last year we were just super successful and lucky last year. So we actually ended up giving, uh, one house needed an elk, so uh, Riley gave her elk, entire elk to to some friends, and then Ella gave gave her mule deer to one of my sister's friends that needed it, and then a guy I work with, his family didn't have any luck hunting, and they were kind of. In the pain so i gave my mule deer to them last year because we had i mean there's no way we had five elk and i think three deer four deer that year so we had more than we needed so we we were able to share it but there's never an issue getting finding somebody that'll take meat and make good use of it
0: you're like the you're like the uh, you're like the local town butcher shop where people can just come and say, "Hey, can I get like twenty five pounds of elk sausage or, or making tacos? Can I get some elk meat?" And yeah, we got like six of them. How many do you want?
1: Yeah, not every year, but we were we were pretty lucky last year.
0: That is pretty lucky. Uh, do you do all of your own butchering then? Because I got to imagine like especially with the way prices are these days, if you're bringing five elk into the butcher shop, I mean, that's like a second mortgage to get all that processed.
1: Yeah, we, we do all of our own. I've only bought somebody recommended a butcher to me one time and I was strapped for time. So we brought one antelope in to a butcher and it was the full horror story. I mean, I think we got all of our meat back, but I, I got a, So that antelope didn't die quite like I'd hoped, so I put a follow-up shot on it that hit it high. And so I brought it in, and when I got my meat back, I opened up a pack of backstraps, and it had a perfect broadhead hole with hair through it right through the middle of one of the stakes. They they packaged that shot backstrap right up like it had never been shot before. So we take a little bit more care of our meat than that and don't trim that stuff out. We don't usually trust anybody else with our meat.
0: Yeah. That's, that is the one thing. And it's, it's easy on a backstrap to kind of see what happened, but you yeah, like, what it, yeah. Did, did he take any hair off of it before he ground it? And I, I mean, I personally know butchers, obviously they're, they're great people, but when you have 200 people dropping deer off and you got to get it all processed, like you can't spend that much time with each one. Like there's, there's stuff that's going to end up in the grind like hair or fat or gristle and you just never but when you bring it in you just never know like you know did 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 this package get a bunch of hair ground up in it or or what's going on so I like to do it all myself I enjoy it too I mean that's part of part of the process that I part of the reason why I do it is I just really like doing all of the meat myself and and doing it that maybe the way i like to do it instead of just getting back packages and and so that's what we do too. We bring everything in, unless we're strapped for time or there's a reason why we can't. But you know, the last elk we shot that we brought in, I think we shot two elk and five people, and we were all going different directions when we got back home, and so no one could help. You know, you know, not everyone could cut, help butcher it. So we brought it in, and you know, you get like, well, I want this much of this and this much of that. Well, it was like three, four hundred dollars for each of us to get two elk butchered. I'm like, yeah, you add that up, that's It was like $1,500.
1: You might as well go to the store by the time you buy your tags and pay a butcher. But, yeah, that's a good point. that They do as good as they can, but it is their job. And the more animals they get out the door, the more money they make. So if they took the time and care that we do into our own meat, there's no way you could afford... If they want to make a living out of it, the price would just be so astronomical. You could never afford it, so... That is a good point. It's not because they're trying to do a bad job, but they are trying to make a living.
0: Yeah, I, I, I got to imagine if I was a butcher, I would hate hunting because it, <laughs> it's, like, unpredictable. Everyone wants it now. Everyone wants to drop it off now. They want to drop it off at midnight because they didn't get out of the mountains until, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it would, it would just be, like, a week full of a constant headache. Yeah. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of butchers around here that i am to, and they've switched to where they're only taking, you know, their beef and pork and their normal customers, and they don't even screw with it. I'm sure for their friends or whatever they do, but they won't even touch game.
0: Yeah, or you can, a lot of butchers around here are doing the same thing, but, like, they'll, they'll make sticks and sausage and stuff, but you have to bring in your own deboned meat, um, which, you know, we, I have like the sausage stuffer and the mixer and a lot of the smokers and my dad and my brother own the, the grinder. And so it's like if I got the meat deboned, I mean, we did the hard part. We might as well finish out.
1: Yeah, except for stuffing pepperoni sucks. But we we do all that ourselves, too, and we have fun with that and figuring out how to switch the recipes up and change it and the cooking methods and all that to make our pepperoni and summer sausage and broths and all of that it was kind of fun. I don't know. It's kind of like tying your own flies. You can go down to the store. It's not really practical to tie your own flies because you can buy them so cheap and not take your time. But there's something about it that it's something that you made and did yourself that's more enjoyable. So eating the broth and pepperoni that you made in your own kitchen has its own factor to it that makes it more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I mean, when was the last time you bought a bag of jerky at the gas station and you brought it over to your buddy's house? You're like, hey, you want to try some of this jerky? And they're like, "Uh, I don't know. I mean, sure, I guess, but I could have, you know, you're never proud about that. But if you make some jerky, like, hey, you want to try some of my venison jerky? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure, give me a piece.
1: Yeah, for sure. They're (laughs) way more excited to eat that. Everybody likes homemade jerky more than the store-bought stuff. Nobody gets it. They'll eat the store-bought stuff, but they get excited when you share the homemade stuff with them.
0: Right, yeah. The store-bought stuff to me is like a backup plan when I'm on a road trip, and I just, like, I don't want to eat something that's going to make me feel like crap. So I'm like, well, jerky is as clean as it gets, Um, so I'll buy that. But, yeah, you're never, like, proud to go share it with somebody. (laughs) No. So.
1: Uh, It's kind of fun. We're so strapped for time all the time. It gets a little bit difficult on that side, but the actual process is enjoyable, especially if you can have some some friends come over and make it more of a social event than a job.
0: Well, it sounds like you'd have more time if you quit packing out so many elk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd probably help a little bit. I get done with my season and go straight into Ella's season, and as soon as we can get through, through those, we going checker hunting and then steelhead fishing, straight the salmon fishing, and then it's right back to archery elk again. So it's a full year, all year, every year.
0: Yeah, that's... that's. The, I
1: don't have any free time, but it's by choice because I'm doing what I want every weekend.
0: That's the dream. That sounds nice. like a good life.
1: Yeah, it's good. We were lucky last year. We were all the way from start of september to we got our riley got her last elk on december 26 last year so that was a long elk season for us no grandma shot her elk on august 1st but so, because there's a early cow season and Oregon. So we had it from August 1st till December 26th last year. (laughs) Sounds
0: like grandma's the smart one. I'm getting my work wrapped up right away. I'm doing it August 1st and I'm done.
1: (laughs) She did it again this year. I don't remember what it was. Like August 3rd or something. She shot her elk this year. (laughs) Got it out of the way.
0: Yeah. Enough of this silly business. I'm just going to knock her down and and call it good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's learned something.
0: Well, awesome. Well, Mike, man, it's already been an hour. Time flies when we're talking elk hunting, and I um, appreciate you calling in tonight. I know you are got a full weekend ahead of you trying to get a mule deer for your niece, so I appreciate you being here tonight. I wanted to give you a chance to to share with all the listeners if they want to follow along and see some of your adventures and and some of the elk and and deer that you've talked about here tonight. Where can they find you? Um, probably
1: the best places just follow my instagram account if i'm i'm not very good at keeping it up to date i usually get the good pictures or a story in there but i'm not that great on social media but it's m.copper k-a-u-p-p-e-r is my instagram and jump on there and hopefully have something entertaining or feel free to ask me any questions i don't think i'm a little bit worried coming on the podcast not that great at, at talking but we talked for over an hour, and I don't even think we got the tip of the iceberg. There's so many directions elk hunting can go. And
0: well, like I said, it's uh, it's a lot easier than you think when you're talking about hunting and, and talking about it with another person that, that loves hunting. So time does fly. I've found that time and time again I'll look down at the podcast board and be like, oh, wow, it's already been an hour. I feel like we just got started. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening, folks. Everybody wish Mike some good luck this weekend in the Deer Woods, and, and we'll have to follow up later, but I appreciate you being here. And thank you once again, folks, for being here as well.